Hello, and welcome to Sound of the Moment. I'm your host, Pat Cleaver, and this is the bi-weekly show featuring conversations with musicians about jazz, music, and more. Come back every second Monday to hear new episodes and subscribe in iTunes or add the show to your RSS feed in order to keep up to date as soon as new episodes are released. For more information, detailed show notes and links, you can visit soundofthemoment.com. And if you like what you hear and you feel like supporting the show, the best way to do that is to go to iTunes and give us a favorable review or rating. Um, This will boost the podcast visibility and it helps other people find it. You can follow me on Twitter at Pat Cleaver or look for Sound of the Moment on Facebook. This is episode number four for the 4th of December 2017. That was a lot of fours. My guest today is the Luxembourgish drummer Pit Dam. His debut record features his trio of Charles Rose on saxophone and Lennart Heindels on bass, with the addition of special guest Harman Frania on the piano. Before we get to my conversation with Pit, here is the title track from that album. This is Omicron. <laughs> Thank you. 
you just heard music from the Luxembourgish drummer Pit Dam. And uh, Pit, welcome to the show. Hey, Pat. Thanks for having me here. It's nice to be a part of the show. Yeah. Uh, as one of the first ones. Indeed. So. We are currently on tour in uh, in Korea, in South Korea. And uh, so we thought we'd make the most of a little day off. And uh, Yes, here in the hotel with a beautiful view over, over Seoul as well, which unfortunately people cannot see, but uh, you just have to trust us on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, um, so we just heard some music from your record, uh, Omicron, mm -hmm. right? With uh, with your trio. Um, maybe you could, well, first of all, maybe talk a bit about yourself. Um, tell people who you are. I don't expect everybody will be familiar with you. Well, uh, I'm from Luxembourg and uh, I play a drum, the drums since I can remember, basically. And... Uh, I studied in, in Amsterdam and Brussels after I finished uh, jazz as well as, as classical studies at the local conservatory in Luxembourg. And uh, now I'm, I'm teaching and uh, touring quite a bit. So uh, yeah, music is, is my life, but not my only interest. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very nice. Like everything went uh, kind of smoothly in the last uh, few years. So I enjoy it quite a bit and uh, I hope... Uh, It's uh, it's not going to be the last time uh, with you also as a second bass player, let's say, of, of the band. And <laughs> uh, yeah, so I basically I like to have uh, like a collective of musicians that I can work with, uh, which on the album is um, then Leonard Handels and Charlie Rose. Uh, and we have Hamid Franje as a, as a guest on the album. Yeah. But uh, I like to have uh, more people around me because obviously everybody's always super busy. And uh, like, of course, I would like to have uh, like just uh, the working band that never changes. But obviously that's in, in our times not really possible anymore because everybody's working so much. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm just very happy that I have so many different musicians that I can play my music with. And uh, Yeah, and it seems to me like your music lends itself quite well to that sort of idea of, of working with different people because it is, it is quite flexible. You write what is essentially fairly simple music mm -hmm. um, and yet it's very open-ended and, and can go in all kinds of directions. Yes. Um, how do you feel the, the change of personnel affects that? Well, I think for me, the, the, the first idea that I have is obviously to write something that I, that I like and since i play quite a bit of piano also i, I teach also uh, jazz piano lessons not necessarily that I'm, an, i'm a great performer on the piano but uh, i like to play piano and uh, sometimes composing it made things quite difficult because if your uh, your technique for example is limited then you will not write the same thing so with the, the new music that i wrote I, i really concentrated on just writing what i heard and uh, then uh, i wrote it down basically and um, I often really take a first idea and then I leave it as it is. So I'm not a person that goes back to old compositions and rethinks them and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so basically I have a, a product that's finished in itself and then I can hand it to the musicians to do whatever they want with it. And for me, the nice thing is I, I try to, f to figure out before I ask the musician, is he going to fit into the music? And then afterwards, I trust uh, them completely with that. So uh, I think uh, I never told the musician to play this like that or uh, something <laughs> like, you know, 
them I'm always fairly open-minded because if I ask musicians I want that they play like themselves and not necessarily that they play like I want them to play you know yeah um, so that's uh, that's what I really like and because the music is so so simple in a way uh, that's it's it's quite easy to achieve that and how it affects um, uh, the playing I mean with the different people have of course different ideas um, but I think all the people that I play the music with are are very open-minded so this open character always stays it's just like some sometimes there's more energy if you have a bit more of an energetic player that joins or you know that's also changes for me but um i'm i'm quite flexible in in my drumming in in terms of if it's time or if it's uh, rubato or if it's uh, different dynamics so for me it's uh, i don't really have a preference i just like to enjoy the moment with <laughs> the people that that are actually uh, performing the music with me so that's that's my priority yeah and free playing is always something that's at least whenever i've i've played with you has always been kind of part of the set yes and the idea that you can approach the material in any way you want. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a very sort of democratic idea about who can start a song, who yes. decides where things go. Yes. Um, because I, I played quite a bit of classical music also when I was younger. So, and there it, it's often for me, it was the problem when like you didn't have uh, like your best day or like the mood of the, of the group was not like uh, the day before or something that, and you were forced to kind of play the same set list or the same, the same pieces. Uh, and then in the end you could sometimes be disappointed because it was not as good as the day before mm-hmm. or something like that. And, I think uh, with this approach, it it gets kind of out of the way of that because uh, when you can start the song how you want or uh, when you can play free in between songs or something, you can always change the mood or you can change the intensity to to get comfortable with the situation. So you don't force yourself uh, in a corner just because something is written on a on a piece of paper. I think that's for me uh, fairly important. Yeah, and it obviously keeps things very fresh when... Mm-hmm when you're touring and, and playing, what is it, six shows now we're playing in South yes, Korea. Yes, yes. Um, now, another thing is you, so your trio is typically saxophone-based drums. Mm-hmm. Um, on the record, you invite Harman Franja to mm-hmm. play piano as well. Um, why the, the, the harmonyless sort of, Format. Well, in the very beginning, <laughs> it's actually, I never said that before, but uh, one of the ideas, of course, I liked the guys and uh, we studied all together in Amsterdam. And um, the band was formed for my bachelor, the end of my bachelor, we had to do like a project that you could choose what you would do. And I did a tour and a recording and, and all of that stuff. And then yeah. I asked the guys if uh, they would be up for it. Mm-hmm. And so that happened. And for that tour, I had a pretty small car, so I could not <laughs> fit anything else, you know. So uh, that it was actually in the beginning like a practical, uh, a practical thing, hmm. uh, and also. I was uh, fairly sure from the beginning that I would like to invite piano players or guitar players to play, you know, and. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, the the pianoless trio or whatever you call it uh, the, the the harmony not yeah, necessarily cordless. Yeah, yeah which still sometimes happens because Charlie is singing in the saxophone while playing and like the bass can obviously play two notes at the same time or something mm-hmm. uh, but yeah in the traditional way cordless um 
Uh, I, I like that you have to make it happen in a different way and like all this mid-range is more open for me to experiment with also on the drums so that's that I like very much like some frequencies let's say for example like the, the high tom-tom is uh, not really there when only a saxophone an alto saxophone and a double bass is playing so this the range of the frequencies is kind of open for me to do whatever yeah. I want. So that I, I enjoy very much. Mm. And um, when with uh, with the piano, of course, I, I love harmony, you know. Mm. Uh, and uh, well, I enjoy just listening to it while playing. That's <laughs> that's something also that sometimes it's uh, it's easy to to forget that you know when I'm concentrated or, or focused while playing that I forget to enjoy the moment on stage that sometimes <laughs> happens but uh, yeah that's i think that's very important actually to to always try to enjoy the moment not after the song is finished oh this was nice but like <laughs> during the song already being focused on on the on the niceness let's say yeah yeah and so could you maybe talk a bit about the the guys that play on the record um chalet is from france Chalet is from France. I think he studied uh, in in Spain in in uh, San Sebastian and yeah. and, uh, and afterwards in Amsterdam, and now he's living in Paris and and studying still. I think for like a an postgraduate uh, diploma. Yeah, he's doing like some that. sort of a PhD yes. kind of a thing. And then um, Leonard is now living in Brussels. I think he lived all over the place uh, in the last couple of years and. Hmm. Uh, yeah, they are very, very different personalities. And uh, about Charlie, I like very much that he has his very strong voice on, on the saxophone, which obviously is a very good thing, but he does not necessarily impose it, you know, and hmm. um, he's a, a he's very fond of rhythmical stuff, you know, so he likes to experiment with that. and. Uh, I think he has very special way of approaching the music, more like in in small patterns than in longer lines, which uh, which is uh, very refreshing for me. And then Leonard, yeah, I mean the guy has a sound like a house, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, he he's very um, like intimate, you know, the, when the way of his playing is very intimate. So he he um, he never forces an idea um, except for when he does, you know. So it's not mm. like a uh, a state that he is in that you can always count on you know can, you can really change his uh, his his way of playing but within like his character i don't know how to explain 100 percent, but uh, i hope you can understand <laughs> <laughs> um yeah basically i i just like uh, how they also sound together you know for me the, the sound is is very very important and Charlie has a beautiful soft uh, sound, a, a bit like remind me of, of Paul Desmond, maybe sometimes or yeah, it's kind of a uh, an underutilized type of saxophone playing. I feel this sort of worn Marsh Lee Konitz side yes, of things. Yes, it is. It's, it's very interesting his his language, and I I think that also comes from the fact that he. Uh, he's obviously classically trained and yeah. he also listens a lot to Indian music, to Moroccan music and to like more rhythmical based music, you know. Yeah. So uh, I think his ideas come more from that than just thinking about harmony so or, or, or about melody. And uh, I think in, in my music it works quite well because sometimes there is not much uh, uh, information harmony-wise because when I write for the trio without the chord instruments, I started writing without any chord symbols. So I basically just write uh, two lines. Yeah. 
so they can figure out what what is happening. And funnily enough, uh, I decided that if I uh, ask a piano player to join or a guitar player to join, I will not give them any chord symbols either. So they <laughs> yeah. just have to figure it out. And um, and that's also I think it's a very simple way of like. Uh, uh, changing the music when another person joins uh, and when i want a specific sound i will write down uh, all the notes that i want to hear even if we can just play two of them mm. so uh, it's uh, yeah yeah and that's that's also an approach of, to writing that forces people outside of whatever their habits are right because yes it's quite a common occurrence that because of the type of training that we undergo, we sort of learn to read chord symbols the same way we learn to read notes. Yes. And so I feel like so many patterns tend to come back when when reading, you know, the typical um, song form like you would see on a lead sheet in a real book or yes. whatever. I think the the biggest problem that I also ran into a lot while playing piano, you know, I mean, if, if you have, no matter what chord symbol it is, let's say a pretty simple one with maybe one extension or whatever, you have uh, like maybe eight or 10 different possibilities of playing it or mm. maybe 20 or whatever, but uh, which one to choose, you know? So you base it often on, on the melody as a top note or something, or uh, depending on if you have a bass player or if you have, uh, I don't know, more horn players in which range you play it. Mm. But it's always something that is uh, in, in your fingers, you know, so you feel very comfortable with, with all of them. But if you have only the top and the bottom and nothing in between, then you kind of have to figure out uh, what can I play or can I play this specific chord with just using two notes, you know, because, I mean, we are used to using at least four or five or maybe six notes, you know, and mm. sometimes it's enough to just play one note. And that's also what I like with Harmon, that um, uh, he he really plays what what he hears, you know, and if that's just one or two notes, then it's going to be that, you know. But I think it, it will still reflect in, in the same way and sometimes even more pure because it's more spontaneous or more risky also in a way. You know, you cannot, like, as you said, read the chord symbol and rely on what you learned. You know, you just have to be in that moment. And yeah. Yeah. And that probably also brings us back to the idea of, of like that space in the frequencies in, in the mid range mm -hmm. where you leave it open for yourself or for whatever people are going to do. Yes. Um, it's a cool approach. I think it's it's lacking in a lot of places. People thinking, also thinking a bit like a mixing engineer, you know, when like what what occupies the bass, what occupies the mid-range, what occupies the high stuff, where do we leave space? How do we, you know, and yes. I, I also think in in the, the case of the saxophone trio format with, with saxophone bass drums, it's also quite possible to switch those, those roles out. Yes, it um, is. Yeah, but um, yeah, I think it, it's it's uh, in the beginning I was not thinking so much about that, but uh, at one point, I mean, I realized after listening to the recordings, uh, uh, if we play this, uh, maybe something is lacking. How how can we make that happen? You know, because I think the easiest for that would be I would just uh, ask Charlie to play the tenor saxophone, and we would not have <laughs> that problem anymore. You know? Yeah. Uh, but uh, so I, I was just thinking about it, and I'm still experimenting quite a lot about uh, like with tuning of the the drums and especially also adapting it to the room a bit uh, where we play because that's I feel that in a in the saxophone trio it, it makes quite a big difference actually if you have a piano that can have such a big range 
uh, of frequencies, it it can cover it a bit more. But in the trio format like that, it you might be kind of naked sometimes, you know. So I think if if you know after playing so many concerts how to kind of uh, avoid this uh, emptiness with your tuning or with the, which symbols you use or with and stuff like that. Uh, uh, because, for example, gradually over the years, my hi-hats always got bigger and uh, lower, you know. <laughs> and that has also to, to do with that, because then I can just, uh, if I want to play mil- minimalistic, I can just play just a hi-hat for some time, mm. and it will still fill up more space than if I would play uh, like a smaller one, you know. Or I don't necessarily have to play more or louder to get the same effect, you know. So that's... Uh, that's that these are things that i think quite a bit about because uh, uh i mean the dream of every mu- i'm not of every but of a lot of musicians is that if you hear them that you uh, without knowing who it is that they recognize you you know yeah so and i think th- i i very often have that in mind would i recognize my own playing if i would not know that it was me and um in in this format uh, i'm i'm trying to kind of specialize it in in like trio playing so Maybe one day it will happen. <laughs> yeah. And so you, on the record, you invited Harman Franje, the, the piano player. Um, how did that come about? What was the... Well, I think um, he was, uh, he still is the one of the teachers at the Amsterdam Conservatory. And he's also teaching a, an ensemble. And uh, yeah, I took this class because a lot of people told me, yeah, you have to take this class. And yeah. uh, the other people in the ensemble were late because they missed the tram or whatever, had a, <laughs> had a flat tire or I don't know what. And so we had 10 minutes time to just play before the other ones arrived. And these 10 minutes were felt really, really nice. And that must be like, I don't know, four years back or five years. Yeah. And uh, so that was basically the first time that I had the chance to play with him. And... Uh, a couple of months after that, he called me for a gig and uh, to play in a, in a little uh, club in Utrecht, uh, south of Amsterdam. Yeah, Pothouse, right? In the Pothouse, yeah. yeah. And then uh, a couple of months after that, I called him to play uh, in Luxembourg uh, at, at Optaschmel. It's a very nice venue hmm. where we also recorded the album. And uh, I just asked him if he would like to play a couple of songs for us, with us. And uh, he said yes. And uh, now he's here with me with the trio in Korea. So that's how it goes. Yeah. So, yeah, um, nice bridge there. You you mentioned Opta Schmelz. Um, how was the recording process? Because I, I, I wasn't aware. It sounds like you didn't go into a traditional studio setting. and, and No, um, the, it's a concert hall that is fairly dry uh, and mm-hmm. it's a super, super clean sound. Um and uh, I knew it, of course, because I played there a couple of times. And uh, Daniel Igniti, who is the, the artistic director of the place, uh, she invited us to do a residency, basically. So we had uh, four days where we had the room the whole day with the sound engineer. And I hmm. asked another sound engineer, so they were two, uh, basically. Yeah. And um, we lowered the stage to ground level. The chairs were all taken out, and we were in the beginning of, like, in the in the middle of, uh, I guess, like 250 people room, more or less. Okay. And then we just set up the mics, not even between bass and drums, like a cover, nothing, just like that, and uh, no headphones. Yeah. Uh, and then we just played live, and uh, that's it. Wow! Great. And it's, so I had headphones, I think, because they covered the piano up a bit, uh, which would make it easier to uh, 
to, yeah, to, to get mix a nice afterwards. Sound, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, basically like a, like a live concert that we recorded. And uh, we recorded a lot of music in the in the couple of days, trio and quartet, uh, and duos and solos uh, for whoever was feeling mm. there again. You know, I did not really go in with a plan. Yeah. Um, and it turned out quite nice. Of course, it's less efficient than uh, than if you would say, okay, we have one day, we will record eight songs or ten songs, and then you would really have to do it. But like this, I really had. Uh, I don't know how many hours of music I had and they were all so different and like, uh, so it was really for me a very nice, interesting process to figure out what the CD, what the album would be like uh, in terms of which take I, I take or which line, which bow I want to have in the album, yeah. you know. Um, but it was very nice and um, I would do it again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's quite a luxury and yeah, it is. it's not exactly a common process nowadays. Um, and also being able to record in the same room like that is always yes. um, quite special. It was quite special, of course, for the mixing. Um, it was uh, quite difficult because, I mean, you cannot push some frequencies. So basically what happened, it was a very good friend of mine, uh, Ken Risha, who uh, mixed the album. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's uh, very young, but he really knows the music and he knows me. We had the first band I had together, like, I don't know, 12 years ago or something like yeah. that. And he's now studying in Vienna. And uh, so I thought it was a natural choice also for later on that we will work together, you know, so that this would be the start of like, of my album collection or whatever, <laughs> and uh, his start uh, as a sound engineer. And uh, we were figuring out, okay, what uh, can we do? What do we need or what do we want? And uh, in the end, basically what we did, uh, just clean it up a bit and send it to mastering. Yeah. So not much changed from the original recording. Hmm. Um, yeah. And so how did you go about, what what was the final concept about what takes you selected and how you built the bow? Because it, it having so much material must, must be quite confusing, right? Yes, it was quite confusing because also there were some songs that I had in trio and in quartet. Yeah. Um, and there's even one that we cut together, I believe, uh, with where the beginning is trio and the, the rest is uh, quartets or the other way around. Uh, I think even on Omicron it's the case. Um, mm -hmm. But um, I just, what I did, uh, I listened the first 10 seconds and the last 10 seconds of nearly all the takes and I took notes and I did it again and I did <laughs> it again and I did it again and I, I just uh, figured out some different combinations. So uh also that volume wise they fit or intensity wise that they that basically the this the first song fits with the second one and then i listen to the end of the second one and figure out what could yeah. be the third one um but i think there again there's no really right or wrong way to do it but i just like um like on a live concert i like these uh, smooth uh, transitions where mm. it's uh where not like uh, you like not the feeling that you wake up too late, you know. Then <laughs> oh my god, you know I'm I'm late. No, not like that. I prefer the Sunday morning approach of like ah uh, oh, nice, uh, let's get up, uh, have a coffee, and then do whatever we have to do. And when I listen to an album, um, I like that as well, you know, to to have that. And that's why I also love uh, live albums so much because you hear the audience clap and then they just fade it out and then it goes to the next song, you know. Yeah. So uh, and I try to to do kind of the same thing but without live audience. So uh, yeah, that was basically the concept behind it. Yeah. 
I think it's, there's a quote by um, this movie director, Darren Aronofsky, the, he directed Black Swan and, and Mother, mm-hmm. who said a movie is not finished until you've cut your favorite scene from the final movie. Okay. Um, is there, <laughs> um, and I think he went back and regretted that later, but um, is there anything that you feel that amongst those hours of music that that you just couldn't fit on the album that that you wish you could have made or, or wish you could now bring out is there an idea of bringing out extra stuff i don't know i i thought at one point to do like a extra download code mm-hmm. in the album where you can like download uh, more tracks but in the end i decided against it because uh, i mean the the album is just like an, an, an also a sound of the moment, you know. Hmm. So uh, it's just there for that time. And, you know, if I later, one year later, the music might change, your life changes, everything changes, you know. So um, I might still release some stuff if I feel like it. Like, for example, there are some drum solos that I did yeah. uh, that I like quite a lot because uh, <laughs> that was actually quite funny. Uh, we still had like a couple of hours left on the last day. So... Hmm. Uh, uh, I think Charlet recorded some uh, some solos, and then it was like, uh, okay, so let's let's take the stuff away, you know, wrap it up, and then uh, I'll, I'll, I'll record some some drum solos. So we took all the microphones that were in the room and put them on the drums, <laughs> and uh, it was quite funny because uh, he sent me some mixes of like this weird sounds that you are not used to have uh, on the drums, like yeah. with three or four bass drum microphones and stuff oh, like yeah. that. And even ribbon mics, you know, that you would maybe not use normally for to record a bass drum. And, yeah. and one broke, and then uh, we had an incredible sound of the bass drum with a <laughs> broken ribbon mic. You know. <laughs> so some of that stuff I would maybe still bring out, singing into the drums and uh, just uh, throwing a cymbal on the floor on in this big room yeah. and in the solo. And it sounds beautiful because the room is like 30 meters uh, high or 25 meters high, something like that. You yeah, know. okay. So uh, my, maybe one day that will come out, but now I'm more focused on 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 the next album, and uh, we'll see we'll see what happens. Yeah, what do you what do you expect is gonna be on that album? Like, what what are the plans? Is there any plans yet? There are some plans. I mean, like I'm I'm slowly building the collective uh, of of musicians that I work with. Mm-hmm. So um, I was thinking of maybe having a couple of more people on on the album, also as like uh, also for later. I mean, you know, I, I like to to be flexible, as we already <laughs> said. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, the next guy we will uh, probably in spring play with, it's not clear yet, is uh, Nathan Ramos Garcia, a trumpet player from Spain. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I think he would fit very well into the music, the same as uh, Jean-Paul Estivenard from Belgium. We already talked also by the collaboration. And uh, so I just want to build this up. And then when it's kind of crystallizing a bit more, I think uh, I'll just go to the studio. Mm. And uh, maybe do a less big production than uh, than the first one, you know, just to have uh, another album. Also, I think um, we talked about it once that the album sometimes, which is uh, quite sad, is is there as an alibi, you know, to book a tour or to have uh, more concerts or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, you don't do an album necessarily for other people. I think it's also nice to to just do it for yourself as a as a thing to have later on. Also, mm. you know, of course, it helps for for the whole business aspect of things and to have concerts and here and there. 
but um, yeah i think it's uh, especially with the with the death of the cd nearly or something like that uh, i i think we should all be persistent to still have albums and to still to produce them you know not to lose it because uh, you you just asked about releasing something it would be so easy you know you upload it on bandcamp you ask five bucks for it and uh, and that's it you know yeah of course so um Yeah, and it's become a bit of a sort of very expensive business card yes. uh, for for musicians nowadays to have an album coming out. And I suppose it's quite ironic because I'm I'm using quite a lot of of the idea of people releasing an album or having released an album as sort of the framework for this this show as well. But yes. it's also just an excuse to talk to people about the music that they make. Um, you're obviously quite the multi instrumentalist. Um, yeah, a bit. <laughs> I, I mean, like you, you mentioned that you you teach them piano. I've also seen you play vibraphone. Mm -hmm. um, I have occasionally even seen you with a flute in your hands. Yes, it happens sometimes, um, but never, never in public. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you? Is that something that you want to work with more? Um, is there context in which you work with other instruments than just the drums? I mean, I, I never say never, right? But I think the in, the drums is really my instrument, you know. And mm -hmm. and piano, I play piano for fun, and I love teaching it, you know, uh, because I mean, for that, obviously, my level is is good enough to explain the basics of improvising and uh, like how chords work and all that stuff for yeah. a piano player that is younger or that just uh, wants to do it uh, for to have a good time, you know. Um, but you know, I think at one point you kind of have to choose what what your instrument is going to be. I mean, of course, there are exceptions, but uh, I think uh, for me, really, when I look around and I see other piano players that I play with, also, you know, I, I without practicing for a long time or and really being focused on just that i would never get to really there you know so for me it's really the joy of yeah enjoying myself while while playing the piano you know mm. and i just love the sound of it i just love to sit down and and play ballads i, I love ballads so mm. uh, uh, just to, to hear it and uh, and to to have a good time playing like melody bass and harmony which on the drums obviously like i cannot do you know yeah And then the flute, I started playing it uh, during my studies a bit. You know, I'm I'm very a very bad flute player, but I started to um, to play it to better understand when I was writing for the trio for Chalet, basically how it would sound in the in different uh, also with length of notes because yeah. I I don't play an instrument where I can really control the note length. Yeah. Um, so that's why I touched the flute and. Uh, because I just think it's a, it's an underrated instrument in the jazz world. Uh, so uh, I mean, when I hear Eric Dolphy play the the the, the flute, it's just it's amazing, you know. Um, and uh, the vibraphone I play uh, in in Urban Voyage, I play uh, it's it's another band. Uh, I play the vibes and percussion, yeah. which I enjoy quite a bit, uh, especially because. Uh, I don't have any or a lot less responsibility, which I enjoy <laughs> quite quite a lot sometimes. Yeah, but uh, to to do like a circus show of me playing everything, I think <laughs> the chances of that happening uh, live is probably zero. I thought of doing some stuff maybe with two instruments, but uh, I think you should enjoy the rides. Uh, and and at the moment, I enjoy just playing like piano in my free time and drums uh, in my professional time so for the moment it's good like yeah. this yeah 
Well, and it's obviously very, very good for your sort of compositional approach if you have that understanding of harmony and be able to write melodically and understanding yes. the idea of an instrument you have to breathe yeah. um, in order to play. Um, another thing, it's it's a, obviously a completely different topic, but um, you're from Luxembourg, which is obviously a tiny place. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet it is full of incredible talent um, in the jazz and improvised music world. Um, do you... I mean, we can speak about names, obviously, but mm-hmm. the, there's there's so many guys coming up now from Luxembourg. It's it's quite shocking. Um, what would you do? You think what what do you think the reason is for that? What is there a particularly a scene? Is it a generational thing? I'm not sure exactly. I mean, when I was young, everybody was a drummer, like uh, <laughs> you know. And I'm I'm in the jazz world. I'm like the 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 oldest one of the very young generation. There are like people that are like three, four, four years older than me that are obviously longer uh, in the scene because I mean, the three, four years can make a huge difference. Yeah. And then you have the ones that are ten years older than me. They are really like uh, in in the in the business, you know. And they are also, uh, which I'm I'm very happy about, the younger ones that also just started studying and that mm. uh, that show great promise, which is nice. And some of them were even my students. <laughs> so I'm I'm very happy about that, um, but I think uh, it's just in Luxembourg, everybody has a hobby, or like at least in in my entourage, no matter if it was music or sports or or any other kind of art, uh, everybody had a hobby, you know. And um, obviously, when you have the possibilities uh, to go to a music school, which is normally very good, you know, there are a lot of good teachers. Uh, and uh, especially a lot of them that are also performers, you know. So I I grew up uh, looking up to my teachers, really, you know, yeah. like they were my heroes, you know. So mm-hmm. that helped quite a bit. And also because there were so many different possibilities, like the, which direction you want to go, which instrument, there was everything. You could learn everything, you know. Yeah. And there was never, a, for me, a, a really question of, uh, like, could I do it if I wanted to, you know, it was always like you, everything is not everything is handed to you, you know, but I think it's a lot easier than in other uh, countries. Um, and the the main point, I think, is that like when you're 17, 18, 19, you finish high school at, at 19, then you go to the university. Um, like these last three years really change a lot. You know, you become a bit more mature and you know, really, I want to focus on that. And I think in Luxembourg, if you survive these three years, uh, like really focusing on, okay, I will go study, I will do my thing, mm. then really you can do a lot, you know. But uh, if, you, if you miss that, um, I see it quite a bit now teaching is that like the last year before going to study, it's like, ooh, uh, actually, you know, uh, maybe my level is not quite there yet, you know, mm. like, uh, and I think there is a bit of a difference. Uh, um, the potential is, of course, in every country, in every culture, in every nation, you know, there's amazing potential of, of everybody, you know. Yeah. Um, so I would not say that uh, that it's Luxembourg is special. I think it's just that, like, uh, we have the possibility of, of doing it, you know, or we have the possibility of discovering that we have a talent for a certain thing, you know. Uh, so that's basically the thing. Yeah, and I suppose if you are dealing with a a smaller group of talented people, everybody seems much more accessible to you, right? So if you will ha- you will be able to get lessons and reach the people that you really admire. Whereas if you grow up in a much bigger nation, then you know your heroes probably seem much further away and much 
Yes. Less. I mean, my dad is a musician, and so I knew a lot of these people growing up, you know. Yeah. And uh, I saw them, I went to their concerts, and uh, uh, it was basically like on a very, very small scale that like the being famous in Luxembourg doesn't mean much, you know, it's, mm. uh, but uh, like the, the, the best musicians in Luxembourg, they came for dinner, you know, so <laughs> I was, uh, uh, I was really happy about that. And, uh, and then if you want to learn uh, to play an instrument with this specific guy, I mean, you drive maximum like 45 minutes with the car to go to that music school where the guy is teaching, you know, yeah. if he has a spot available, of course. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm very grateful for all because I had really, I took a lot of courses, mm. uh, very different ones. And, and I was very happy because I was very well prepared, um, like overall for going to study, even though my drumming was not that great, you know. So I, I had a, a fair amount of knowledge in very different uh, um, areas, but like I'd never focused so much on the drums, yeah. which when I studied, then it went really just more into that direction. And, um, and I, I, I crystallized really that the drums is my thing, you know? Yeah. Um, is there any work that you do as a sideman that you'd like to mention? I mean, I know you vaguely mentioned Urban Voyage, which is yeah, Paul Bellardi's. Yeah, Urban Voyage, which is Paul Bellardi's uh, 12, 11 piece band, yeah. um, which is quite nice. I enjoy it. Uh, we play really like the uh, headliner style party music with, <laughs> uh, uh, with great arrangements and compositions by Paul. He put in a lot of work. Um, that I enjoy quite a bit also because I have another kind of freedom in the band. Uh, I play the vibes and percussion and Jerome Klein, another amazing musician from Luxembourg. Yeah. He plays uh, the synths and uh, percussion. So we always have a great time because we stand next to each other and we just <laughs> enjoy the, the set, yeah. which is very nice. And it's, it's not uh, so brainy, the music, let's say, you know, in, mm -hmm. in, in, in a positive way. Um, and then I play with Metro Mara. Mara Mignoli is a, a German singer. They play drums. Yeah. Uh, I'm quite excited actually because uh, the music will change. Until now, we played like acoustic uh, R&B soul uh, style uh, with like groove-based music. And, yeah. But it will become more electronic in in the future. Okay. So we will work on that in the coming months, which will be quite interesting, I think. And then I uh, play, yeah, you know, little uh, concerts here and there with uh, with guys from from Belgium and from Holland occasionally. Yeah. Um, some uh, some guys from Italy that uh, that come to to Brussels regularly, and I mean it, it's never boring. But uh, there are like three four projects that are really uh, where I focus on. Obviously, my band is the main focus, but uh, yeah, I I mean I as long as I'm on stage and. Uh, I have the possibility to play with great musicians that are that happen also to be great human beings. Then I'm happy, <laughs> and that's also something that's very very important for me. You know, just the fact that we are on tour and that we like basically see each other now 24 hours a day, and we still find the time to do a podcast together <laughs> yeah. in our free time. You know, <laughs> as if we I weren't mean, talking to each other yeah. enough. Um, so yeah, that's important for me. Great. Um, uh, as we reach the close of the show, um, I always like to ask my guests if there's anything you would like to recommend people check out in terms of either a movie or a book or a record, something that you enjoy that doesn't necessarily have to be music related. Uh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a total YouTube freak, so yeah. uh, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of things. 
and uh, I also work for uh, for the cultural radio in Luxembourg, so I hear also quite a bit of different music. And uh, but I think music in my free time is very important. But uh, I'm a, a big fan of uh, like useless information, if that is a thing, or like uh, <laughs> random facts. And, yeah. uh, uh, and one of the things that uh, I'm really interested in is, is uh, wars. I don't know why, but uh, <laughs> I mean, of course, uh, in our generation, like there are still some people that were affected by wars uh, that they are still alive. Well, still currently. I yeah, assume yeah. you're talking about the Second World War. And yeah, yeah, or yeah. even like great-grandparents that were super young in the first one, yeah. or I mean, whatever. So, um, and there is a documentary, it's not new. I saw it already a couple of years ago, but uh, recently I watched it again. And it's called uh, World War II in Color. And it is uh, okay. a series of 12 episodes, which last uh, around an hour each. Yeah. Um, and uh, what I quite like about it is that um, it's it's very focused. I mean, it's not based on like uh, individual tragedies. Let's say it's mm -hmm. really like uh, more the tactical uh, uh, tactical how the war happened. And uh, also, what I really like it it shows very well how the different uh, countries in the world were affected. And it's very uh, sometimes it can be quite confusing, you know, but this one is, is very well made also, the war in the Pacific mm -hmm. and, and and all of these things. So uh, that one I would really recommend, uh, even if you are not uh, an, an interested in it so much, I think yeah. uh, it, it can't hurt to, to, to watch it. Great. Pitt, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much, Pat. Um, and hopefully we will have you back whenever the next record uh, comes sure. out. Well, my pleasure. Great, thanks. So that was my conversation with Pitt Dam. Keep on listening for some more of his music at the end of the show. Visit samofthemoment.com to find detailed show notes and links to Pitt's website where you could purchase his music and find tour dates and all that good stuff. I'd like to thank my fellow members of Catrio as usual for providing intro and outro music. That's what you can hear right now. If you have any questions or comments, I'd love to hear them, so don't hesitate to reach out to me. I am Pat Cleaver on Twitter, at Pat Cleaver, I should say, and there is a Sound of the Moment page on Facebook that you could go and like. As usual, the best way to support the show is still to add it to your RSS feed or subscribe in iTunes, and while you're there, give us a favorable review or rating. I leave you with more music from Pitt. This track is called Vilnius. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Sound of the Moment.